Coming up on today's episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, you have more voicemails, so we have more answers. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame. Put your name to shame, cover up your face. You can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JayArko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. You all have a lot more voicemails that you have left for us, which means bonus episode, which is not really a bonus because we missed uh, we missed the Thursday episode, had, had a little... Uh, had some family stuff I had to tend to. So as a result, you're getting an episode on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So congratulations. You are lucky. <laughs> All right, David, we, uh, we're going to go ahead and just jump straight into these because there's, uh, there's more of our listeners with some opinions and some questions. And uh, they're either seeking knowledge or validation. Let's see what we can do for them. What's up, gentlemen? Uh, my name is Kevin. I'm calling from autumnal Huntington, West Virginia. Uh, on my way into the gym, and I want to say I'm just a longtime fan, first-time caller. Um, uh, before I kind of get to my comment slash question, um, I just want to say I, I appreciate the tone and, and tenor of your of your commentary. We all get we all have that like you know Sunday night, Monday morning after a blowout loss, kind of freak out um, like we've had. But I really appreciate your steady commentary, your your level-headedness, your um your cold analysis, and uh, the humor as well. Your music could be a little bit better, to be quite honest. But hey, as a matter of taste, I digress. Now, uh, one thing I want to say is, um, when it comes to Damon Winston, we got to have a really honest conversation and talk about his floor and his ceiling. Yeah, he was under siege. Yeah, we get it. You know, offensive line didn't play well. Nobody played well on Sunday, but we just know that he has these games in him. My concern is his ceiling. Um, and you got to say, like, it's been four years. It's been since his rookie season that he's actually taken over a team and taken over a game and gone out and won it. Um, I think what we're seeing is the ceiling is going to be competent, conservative play against weaker opponents. Like, that's the best we're ever going to hope for. So I'm going to ask you, Clyde, I made your answer to in today's episode. Um, is that the ceiling, though, for this kid? Competent? capable play and conservative game plans against weaker opponents. All right, Kevin, thank you very much for the phone call. However, got to watch the potty mouth, buddy. There, There's no, there's no, as George Carlin put it, the seven words you can't say on TV and radio. We don't, we don't say those words on here. So you're gonna, you're gonna have to watch the potty mouth or we're not going to be able to play the voicemails. Just saying. <sighs> Is Jameis Winston's ceiling competent game manager? It's an interesting phrasing uh, because Sunday he did not look the least bit competent. I think the the ceiling of what you want to see out of Jameis is competent game manager. He was a competent game manager in Carolina, and they won. He called himself a game manager. The thing with Jameis is his ceiling is somebody that can absolutely go out and win you a game, just like he did against Los Angeles. That's the thing. We've seen 
the best of Jameis this year. We've seen the worst of Jameis this year. And we've seen exactly where Jameis needs to be for this team to be successful this year. Like, and I'm I'm not talking about just this year in a bubble. I'm talking about the best Jameis we have ever seen was that game against the Rams. The worst Jameis I have ever seen. Maybe other people have different opinions, but that was that game in London. That was the absolute worst I have ever seen that guy play. And actually, David, I think you disagree with me because we had an argument about that uh, in, in a text conversation. But Jameis is more than a game manager. And I think at this point, with the mistakes we've seen, with the questionable decision-making we've seen, he may be more talented than a game manager, but for the team to have success, he needs to play that role. Because when he tries to do too much, you have implosions like you saw against the Panthers or the, you could kind of say against the 49ers, but not totally. Um, But when he's just out there being that manager, you have games like you did against the Panthers. It's a close game. It's a tough game. It's a divisional game, but he didn't do anything to lose it by trying to do too much. So that's kind of how I see Jameis. He's more talented. You you say game manager. I think of guys like Andy Dalton, Joe Flacco, you know, these guys that are not going to go out there and win you a week because they're going to do just the bare minimum that needs to be done to protect the football and and get a win but they will absolutely be the ones to make mistakes to lose you games. And I think Jameis is more talented than that. But at this point in time, you can't trust him to be more than that because that's when the mistakes come. So the question of what is Jameis Winston's ceiling is a very perplexing one. And I think it kind of speaks to the entire problem surrounding Jameis Winston. Uh, Trevor Taylor and Matt over at Peter Report kind of talked about this on their Peter Nation podcast after the game in London where Jameis Winston is such a good quarterback, such a talented player, that it makes zero sense that all these things keep happening. So when you talk about ceiling, the question for me turns to, are we talking about what's the best he can be? Or what's the best we can expect? Because those are two totally different things. The best he can be, James, like you alluded to against Los Angeles, is dominant. Like this dude can make every every throw on the field. He can make he can he can throw to every route in the tree. He can he can throw to every spot on the field. He can throw short, intermediate, deep. The question is and always has been consistency. Um, and that's where the confusion comes in. Because you can see this dude one week and everything clicks and everything is there and everything, every light bulb is lit. And you're like, there's the Jameis that got drafted number one overall. There's the Jameis that won a Heisman. There's the Jameis that won a national championship. There's the guy that's going to lead the Buccaneers of the future. And then the next week, you got Joe Flacco light. And it's confusing. So the question 
for me about his ceiling. To me, what I look at is what can you expect from him? Uh, how high can he go as a consistent quarterback? And to me, it's game manager. The best you can get out of him consistently is throwing him out there as a game manager. And if you're going to throw him out there as a game manager, you're not asking him to win you the game. Um, and James, we've been talking about this again. We've been talking a lot in the Bucks Nation group chat. And this is another thing that I brought up is to be successful in the National Football League, you either need a killer behind the center or you need a killer defense. Not on defense. You need a killer defense. All right. If you're going to be a quarterback like Brad Johnson, like Trent Dilfer, and win like Joe Flacco, and win a Super Bowl like Peyton Manning's last Super Bowl, you have to have a killer defense. They all had them. It's why they got rings. If you don't have a killer defense, you have to have a killer at the quarterback position. Those are your Aaron Rodgers. Those are your Pat Mahomes. Those are the guys I'm talking about. And they are not available all that often. Deshaun Watson looks like he's becoming a killer. You know what I mean? Dak Prescott has killer moments. Um, they're not often. They're not, they're not in, they're not just out there waiting to be plucked off of a tree somewhere. Those are harder to get than building a killer defense. I truly believe it because we see killer defense come out of the of the league every single year. Um, Tom Brady's killer light is starting to flicker a little bit towards the end of his career. But guess what? The Patriots defense, they're they're killing some folks this year. They're you know what so I mean? good. Uh Tom Brady's early Super Bowl <clears throat> wins. Those were defense. You had defensive killers out there. You had guys like Lawyer Malloy, Willie McGinnis, Ty Law. They were killing folks. Tom Brady didn't have to be a killer. And then he became a killer. And the defense kind of fell off a little bit, but that was okay because you had a killer behind the center. Or under I keep saying behind center, under center. And now that his killer light is starting to flicker a little bit, they're building a killer defense again. Across the board, right? The Chiefs have one of the worst defenses in the National Football League possibly. But they got Pat Mahomes, man. That dude's a serial killer. But you get the point, right? And here's the thing. Jameis Winston's not a killer. And I don't think Jameis Winston will ever be one. And that's really kind of the question. And I know we're not there yet, but we're going to get there. When you're talking about long-term with Jameis Winston, can the Buccaneers be successful long-term with Jameis Winston? Yes, they can. But here's what they got to do if they're going to do it. They got to build a killer defense. And they've got to tell Jameis Winston, you are now a game manager. You are not a 25 to 10 pass to run ratio in the first half quarterback. You are a 25 to 10 run to pass quarterback. And your job is to take those 10 passes and not throw them to the other side. That's what we need you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. And he's got to smile, shake his head up and down and say, gotcha. I'll do it. I don't think he'll do it. I don't think James Winston wants to be that guy. Um, I don't think he can be that guy. And uh, we got 10 more games to see if he can be that guy. But some of this is not on Jameis because if you're Byron Leftwich and you're calling 25 passes in the first half and 10 runs, you're asking Jameis Winston to be a killer. You're asking Jameis Winston to carry this team to victory. And that's not Jameis. That's not going to be Jameis week in, week out. Can he have games like against the Rams? Yes. Can he have moments? Yes. He is not going to consistently do it. Uh, we've seen it for the last five years. That's just not who he is. That's not who he's going to be. The best team with James Winston at quarterback is going to ask James Winston not to mess up while everybody else wins the game. That's where I stand right now. 
with Jameis's ceiling. The ceiling is the roof. <clears throat> but ceilings can always be broken. You know what I mean? But I ain't seen it yet. And I honestly, I just, I don't believe we're going to see it, to be honest with you. All right. Let's go ahead and get over to the next voicemail. This is Will in the Midwest. Uh, just chiming in after the most recent uh, podcast and with the Jameis Winston conversation. Um, first and foremost, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sold on giving up on Jameis just yet. I think that this team has a lot more problems than just Jameis offensive line and and uh, defensive backfield um, being the main concern to me. But with that being said, if we were to move on, because he proves to continue uh, throughout the rest of the season, that he's just not the franchise quarterback that we need. Um, I know that you you were saying, you've said over the last couple pods how it would be, you know, hard to give up that type of draft capital to move up into the earlier part of the first round to get a quarterback. I want to know your thoughts on, do you really think that when you think about it, do we really need to move up that high? Because honestly, I mean, look at Deshaun Watson, look at Patrick Mahomes. Hey boys, Tyler from Boston was listening to you guys podcast regarding the uh, quarterback uh, purgatory as you worded it. And I just had a thought, um, you know, I just want to see, what do you think the possibility of the Bucks maybe, you know, maybe later in the season or maybe in the off season, potentially trading for someone like Josh Rosen, a young quarterback who, I mean, let's be frank, I don't think he's got much of a future where he is in Miami. And Miami's, you know, no stranger to trading off all their players anyway. So, you know, somebody like that, you know, I, I don't mean, I know we have Blaine Gabbert. And I know we have Ryan Griffin, but uh, the caliber of quarterbacks that those guys are, you know, I don't know, you know, if they're really meant, you know, for the big stage or not as a starting quarterback. But, I mean, hey, someone like Josh Rosen could come in, just be the backup, impressionable guy, and Bruce Arians, as a, as a quote-unquote quarterback whisperer, he might be able to unlock some of that potential that Arizona and Miami couldn't. All right, gentlemen, thank you for the phone calls. Um, let's let's address this in order. We we doubled these up uh because they're essentially, you know, similar questions about the same thing. Just one is draft, one is already you know in the NFL. So let's tackle this one at a time. Let's start with the draft. I do believe you have to move up in order to get a you know one of these top three quarterbacks in the draft. We know two is going number one. The question is, is he going to be a dolphin or is he going to be a Bengal? That's, that's the question right now. I think he ends up a dolphin, but he very well could end up a Bengal because Dave, don't the Bengals and dolphins play like soon. I hope not, but they probably do. I'm pretty sure they do. So we could go from the Washington, Miami to a bowl to the Cincinnati, Miami to a bowl. But two is gone, which is fine. I don't like two anyway. So now you have two other of these top-tier quarterback prospects. Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, those guys slid into the the teens. You know, the, the 10 through whatever, whatever you want to call it. Double-digit number picks. That was kind of a surprise then. More so Deshaun Watson than Patrick Mahomes, I think, at the time. But you can't bank on that happening. Like, the quarterback that slid into the, that range of picks this year 
was Dwayne Haskins, and he's trash. He was trash when he entered the draft. He's trash now. He's trash. So if you want to guarantee yourself an opportunity to draft the best prospect possible, you have to move up. And it's all a crapshoot, guys. It's all a crapshoot. It, it's just like, it, this is a rough comparison. It's just like fantasy football. You can do all the research you want. You can look at the trends. You can look at the numbers. You can look at the snap counts. You can look at it all. And then you get to your fantasy draft and you take Saquon Barkley with the number three pick. You getting number three pick return on Saquon Barkley this year? Nope. Because it's not an exact science. You are giving yourself the best opportunity based on the information that you have available. Well, the information that you don't have is whether or not a player is going to get injured. You don't know whether or not a player is going to mentally adapt to the speed and skill level of the NFL game coming out of college. Looking at you, Kenny Bell. All you have is what you've seen on tape, what you've heard from coaches, and what your scouts have told you. That's why there's so many misses in the draft. That's why there are you know, busts at the number one pick, Jamarcus Russell, Tim Couch, uh, uh, David Carr. Yeah, those guys go down as busts. But of those three, Jamarcus Russell was the only one that really should not have been taken there. Tim Couch was a good quarterback. He got put in a horrible situation in Cleveland where he got the snot beat out of him every single game. David Carr, see Tim Couch. Incredibly talented quarterback. The dude got sacked 217 times by week four. So those are things that you can't measure. So you want to give yourself the best opportunity. You got to move up to number two to get Burrow. Like that's that's just how it is. You may luck out. You may hit on a day two quarterback that turns into, you know, the guy. It does happen. But. Odds are better if you are moving up to give yourself a chance at the top-rated prospect at a position. David? As far as trading up for a quarterback in the draft, I think like if the draft happened right now, two is not going number one overall. Uh, two is going but, number one overall. Nah. Um, yeah, he is. <laughs> if Cincinnati is drafting first overall, I think there's a chance that two goes first. If Miami's drafting first overall, I think it's Joe Burrow. And it depends on what happens for the rest of the season anyway. But that's a different conversation for a later time. As far as trading up for a quarterback in the draft, James already knows this. I am absolutely against trading up in the first round for anything but a surefire generational talent. And those are few and far between. Uh, as and far still as not an exact science. And still not an exact science. Yeah, like Saquon Barkley, I, I was not... I type the type of guy who's like, yeah, trade up for Saquon Barkley. No, not not at all, not for any reason. He's a great running back. Don't get me wrong, and he's been absolutely fantastic. But he has not reached generational status yet. And there's no guarantee that he will reach generational status. Uh, that being said, if this team moves on from Jameis Winston, I am absolutely 100. I'll say it now. I'll repeat it in April against drafting a quarterback to replace him uh, in in 2020. Like I'm not against them 
drafting a quarterback in like the third round or the second round if like a really good guy slips because of whatever reason um and basically setting him up to mold him you know what i mean um but i don't see a rookie in the current situation doing much better than what james winston is doing or would do uh statistically maybe out final results i don't i don't believe so so I'll say right now, and and people who absolutely abhor the Saints because they're in the NFC South are going to hate me for this, but I like Teddy Bridgewater. I want Teddy Bridgewater oh, to love Teddy Bridgewater. to be the offseason target for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I know at least one person in Bucks Nation believes that Teddy is going to re-sign with the Saints as the quote unquote heir apparent to Drew Brees. I disagree. I am, I am in that camp one thousand percent. Yeah, see, I disagree. I think that Teddy Bridgewater loves the Saints. He loves what they've done for him. He absolutely respects them, appreciates them. And so on and so forth. And I think that he would jump at the opportunity to take a starting job, even within the division, and come back and whoop their asses. Um, and I think Teddy fits this offense better. Teddy doesn't insist on being the hero. Teddy doesn't need to be the hero. And and part of this, guys, and, and this is this is the other thing too. I mean, I know a lot of people have been talking about like Jameis leaves, he's gonna go somewhere else, he's gonna be successful. Well, you know something? If he goes, I don't know, what's a team with a really you know what I'm saying? Like if if Jameis Winston gets well, not released, if, if Jameis Winston goes unsigned, enters free agency, and John Elway goes out and signs him, and now Jameis Winston is playing with Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman as his running backs, a better offensive line in theory. I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but it seems like it's probably a little bit better. Uh, wide receivers like Cam Sutton, Emmanuel Sanders, a tight end like Noah Fant, and that Denver Broncos defense, if they can keep up their level of play or even get better necessarily. Then yes, James Woods could very well see more outcome success, win loss success. Definitely. It could definitely happen. But part of that, guys, comes from losing your job. Like there's a reason why guys like Josh McCown, even Luke McCown, guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick stick around in the league so much. Because after they've been fired so many times, they start to realize that being fired isn't the end of the world. Like they get fired. Like a young quarterback on their first contract, number one overall pick is like, man, if I get released, it's the end of the world. And then they get released, and then they go home. Their wife hasn't left them. Their children still hug them. Dinner still tastes like dinner. The house isn't foreclosed on immediately. The cars haven't been repossessed. There's no pitchforks and, and torches outside their house. They go somewhere else. They go to training camp. They go to practice. They go home to their family. And eventually they realize, like, oh, hey. Uh, it's basically the same life, just in a different color. You know what I mean? And once you do that, you have a little bit less of less inherent pressure on yourself. As a number one overall draft pick, James Winston entered the NFL with an immense amount of pressure. Add on the Heisman Trophy, more pressure. Add on the national championship, more pressure. Add on the off-field issues, which put him under a bigger microscope, more pressure. Add on uh, the the losing season to start his career, more pressure. Add on the winning season in his sophomore season, more pressure. You know what I mean? Like he, It's just been nothing but ever-growing ever, ever growing pressure on Jameis Winston. And when those things happen and, they, and players can't be successful in those environments, when they get released, it's almost like all that pressure gets released with it. And it just all goes away. And then they go somewhere new and they start over. And now you're not the first overall draft pick. Now you're not the Heisman Trophy winner. Now you're not the national championship winner. You know what I mean? Now you're not the guy who's expected to lead a team that had a, had a number one overall pick in the first place to glory. 
Now you're the guy who got signed by probably a mid-tier team to back up an aging veteran or a young guy who's struggling. And your job is to come bring some experience and knowledge and da da da. And oh, by the way, if you get fired, you're still going to be alive the next day. You'll smile again in the future after you get fired. It will happen. And when you do those things, the game doesn't seem as big um, as it used to be. So that's why some of these things happen. Teddy Bridgewater's there already. Teddy Bridgewater knows what it's like to be the face of a franchise and then lose it. Granted, not for the same type of reasons, right? But he lost it. I don't believe for a minute that Teddy Bridgewater does not want to be a starting quarterback in the National Football League. And I understand he had offers. He had an offer to go to Miami and be a starter. But he's a smart guy, and he said, I'm not there yet. I need to pee in the system where I can get some snaps. I need to get some reps. I need to get back on my NFL feet because he hasn't been back on his NFL feet. This dude is on his feet. Not only is he on his feet, but he's running. That guy is ready to run into a starting position. And unless Drew Brees plans on retiring, which I don't think he does, Teddy Bridgewater is ready to come back into a starting position. As far as trading for a guy like Josh Rosen, um, no. that's not going to happen because, one, Josh Rosen doesn't care enough about football to continuously bounce. Like, I honestly, if the Dolphins are done with Josh Rosen, which I'm not sure they are, I, I'm not sure the, the Dolphins aren't like, hey, look, Josh, we tried. We're going to put it on the shelf. We'll try again next year. I honestly think that might be what they're doing. If it's not, if it's, hey, Josh, thanks for playing. Sorry we wasted a third-round third round draft pick on you. We're moving on. I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Rosen just leaves football. Like that was a big question about Josh coming out of college is how much does this dude love to ball? And if he doesn't love the ball after getting bounced from the Cardinals and the Dolphins, this dude might just put it up. You know what I mean? He might just hang it up. I'm not looking to trade for him. Plus, if you're talking about trading in season, the Buccaneers aren't a buy. Josh Rosen's benched. So you're trading for Josh Rosen, who you've seen uh, this year, and it hasn't been good. The Dolphins are not going to want to give up a guy they traded a third round draft pick for for much less than a third-round draft pick right now, and you've only got one week till the trading deadline, it's not going to happen. David James, it's Greco. What's going on? So I'm scanning social media. There's a lot of turmoil, a lot of arguments, a lot of really downing on the Bucks and stuff. So I got to ask Bucks fans, is going 8-8, eight and eight, 500, the minimal amount of satisfaction you can get from this season? to feel good going forward to next season. I don't know. I'm just saying. We've got issues. There's things going on. Eight and eight might be hard. So, I mean, what, what are Bucks fans okay with? Because there's no way we can say, oh, yeah, we're going to the playoffs, you know, just because we've got a new coach and everything. Obviously, this team still has issues. We're still developing guys. We're still breaking in a quarterback in the system. I mean, there's there's issues Every single game with different things. So, I don't know. Just something to think about, Bucks fans. Whether or not 8-8 eight and eight would be the minimum amount of satisfaction you'd want uh, heading into the next season. So, I don't know. What do you guys think? Greco out. Greco! Um, would getting to 8-8 eight and eight be good enough? Um, right now, David, I would say, yeah, that means you're going on a run here where you finish the season out six and four. That means there has to be some improvement there. Um, it's absolutely possible. And to bounce back from going two and two to two and four, and then going on a run where you finish out the season six and four, including three more divisional games. I think you take that. And that obviously means, like I said, that Jameis has done better 
and you know you're not you're not going on these runs where you're losing three four games in a row which i think is what a lot of people fear is about to happen uh coming out of the bye week is that you know, you lost to the saints you lost to the panthers two key divisional games now you're still on the road against tennessee you're on the road against seattle if you lose those two i mean we are yet again talking draft in october so Hmm. Um, eight and eight, I think would be fine. I think that could potentially earn Jameis one more year under that franchise tag to say, all right, you, you came on strong. You had the bad game in, in London, you came on strong. We're going to give you one more year. We're going to try to put a little bit better protection in front of you, try to keep you upright a little bit. Um, you know, let's see how you can do if you get an extra, three quarters to one second to, to get rid of the ball. You're going to be in an Aryan system going into a second year. Now uh, you and Byron can work together to, to get the game plan hashed out a little bit better. Uh, I would consider eight and eight a win. Yeah, I would too. I mean, that's what eight and eight is what I predicted, predicted the team to do before the season anyway. Uh, so I would love to be right. Of course. Well, I'd love to be wrong if it was the other way, if it was more wins, you know what I mean? But um, looking at the rest of their season, the rest of their season, you know, going to my head, making predictions, the Seahawks is a loss. Um, the Saints, uh, between the Saints and the two games against the Falcons, you're going to lose one of those. So there's two losses already. You got home, you got road games, sorry, against the Jaguars and the Lions uh, before the end of the season. I think they drop one of those. And then you got home games against the Colts and Texans. You probably drop one of those. There's your four losses right there to get you to eight losses. So if that's all you get is you drop one of the three divisional round or three, one of the three divisional games, one year remaining two road games outside of that, the game to Seattle and one year home games to end the season against Colts and Texans, then that means you won two of those division rounds, beaten some teams that you should have, and maybe even beaten a team that you shouldn't have. I don't think this team gets to eight and eight unless Jameis avoids having more games like what we just saw. And so that kind of goes back to what we've been talking about for this episode and the last episode is if Jameis cleans that stuff up and finds a way to clean it up consistently, then the team can get to eight and eight, potentially nine and seven. That's kind of, you know, on the, on the far stretch of things right now. It feels like it's on the far edge of things right now, but if they can get there, then yes, I feel good about the team moving forward. I feel good about the team moving forward anyway. There's just some theological things and some execution things that got to get worked out, but they're not as far off as this last game makes them look all right well david that is going to do it for us this weekend please check out everything going on over at bucksnation.com make sure you're following along on twitter at locked on bucks at jarco underscore bucks at dh82 underscore bucks and at bucks underscore nation send us your voicemails to 813-444-5841 hope you all have an absolutely outstanding weekend and we thank you so much for joining us right here at Lock on Bucks.